On this week's episode, we welcome Leon Spears and Leonard Sykes. It's mind-boggling, Leonard, what's happening on these college campuses. It's disgusting. But what Trinity Anaya said is happening all throughout the country. And you're hearing from people all throughout the United States, you're hearing the same thing, that things have gotten out of hand, that women cannot walk down the street without being hassled. Um, you know, We have a 50% increase in urban homicides, a 50% increase since 2019, uh, 36% increase in aggravated assaults. If you go and take a look at uh, enforcement in terms of vehicles, a 40% high, 40-year high in terms of pedestrians being killed, a 20% increase in the fatality rate. Why? Because we're not enforcing our laws. We're giving the wrong messages to the two people who commit harm. Leon, you live in the district. You heard the story. I mean, rape, active shooter, masturbating, groping? I mean, Armstrong, it's it's sad. Uh, and I'm I'm a proud graduate of Howard University. Uh, I went to Howard University and I have two bachelors from Howard University. And um, what the young ladies were testifying to is is um, ultimately just terrible. I think that um, back in the day, uh, the policies were different. And uh, there's a new chief of police at Howard University, um, Alvin uh, Lied, and um, he's just going to, um, you know, revamp the whole security situation in uh, D.C. Joshua Crawford, does crime pay? It certainly seems to these days uh, between a lack of enforcement as a result of the defund the police movement and then some of these prosecutors who are neglecting to take cases. You're seeing not only crimes of violence increase, but but crimes that literally pay. These smash and grab robberies uh, have increased dramatically. And the people that are hurt the most by this are the people who live in the communities that are the least able to, to tolerate and deal with this. You know, how do the financial gains achieved through criminal activities, Joshua, compared to the stability and benefits of pursuing traditional lawful careers? Yeah, so this is one of the things that, that people don't really understand, that uh, in, in truth, uh, the average street-level drug dealer makes less than minimum wage. Uh, so you're better off going to work for Home Depot or McDonald's than you are selling dope on the street. Uh, you're, you're better off doing that than you are participating in some of these uh, rings that, that steal goods from Walmarts and Targets and places like that. Uh, but the money comes quick. It comes relatively easily. And a lot of folks who have never sort of known anything else get lured into these lifestyles uh, because they they appear to, to come with a lot of financial benefits, but very rarely come with the actual benefits that a nine to five job do. You know, um, Leon, considering the risk of legal repercussions and damage to personal reputation, is the short term financial success of criminal behavior worth the potential long term consequences? I don't agree with that at all, Armstrong. I know that the recent policies for MPD, Metropolitan Police Department in DC, there are very, very low, if not any um, bail um, regulations. So there's no bail for youth and um, they have no set consequences. They they go out, they they rampage the city. Um, and as, as you just said, they harass um, your previous guests while attending um, Howard University. And so it just needs to go to what are the resources 
going to be um, given to in regard to security. And um, as again, you were talking about how university is an open campus. George Washington University is an open campus. Uh, American University is an open campus. And you obviously see there are differences um, amongst the security of not the same uh, issues. The students. What you're saying. Not the same issues. Why? You know, I went to Howard University. I went to George Washington University. So well, why does um, it happen at Howard and not the other universities? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get what you well, the, re- the resources that are are committed um, to the security for the students. But these kids ha- are paying 30 and 40 some thousand dollars a year. What do you mean? George Washington University has been renownedly the most expensive university in the country. Um, you're talking about one hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty thousand dollars um, for your education. Um, and so you're talking about one sixty, two hundred thousand postgraduate degrees. And these kids <coughs> are secure. Um, but again, open campus, you're talking about the responsibility of the city police department protecting um, students on campus, specifically the the um, the security of campus personnel. But why should is, money is be an issue protecting a child's life? That should be your first responsibility. If, you, if your daughter or son, you want that child protected. Why does it have to always come back down to money, Leonard? Look, we're telling the violent offenders out there that they're probably going to get away with their crimes. And if you take a look at the statistics, they are getting away with their crimes. Arrests have plummeted in the United States. It's just like falling off of a cliff because we basically told law enforcement to back off. We've told law enforcement, don't be proactive. Uh, don't get out there, you know, just respond to calls and, you know, patrol the communities and and but proactivity which has been found by the national academy of sciences to be the most effective way of controlling crime we've backed off of that because of all the controversy over police use of force so we've gone too far the message that we're giving not only in Washington, D.C., but throughout the United States is violent criminals will probably get away with it. And the stats show that they are. If you take a look at arrests for homicides, aggravated assaults, rapes, they're all down, especially in urban areas throughout the United States. So we have created a problem that we at the moment cannot overcome unless communities and law enforcement come together. So, Joshua, how can strengthening economic opportunities and social support systems discourage the belief that crime is a viable path to financial success for some individuals or even these groups. Yeah, the the first and most important thing is to to make the community itself more safe. Uh, One of the things that we know from the technical literature on this is that when a community becomes more violent, the economic opportunity in that community falls off a cliff. Uh, The economic mobility among the bottom quartile falls off a cliff. Uh, Private businesses leave. Private businesses don't expand. There's fewer opportunities. And so the first thing you have to do is make that community safe. And you do that through a combination of resources and enforcement. Um, This this has been referenced several times at this point, but uh, arrests and prosecutions have fallen off a cliff in in our largest cities. Uh, Philadelphia has reduced criminal sentencing by 70 percent in the last several years to their lowest uh, place in modern history at the same time that homicides have increased 78 percent. And so there's there's far less enforcement than there was uh, in previous years. And it's not just sort of piddly little things that we're letting go. Uh, There are DAs all across this country that are not uh, prosecuting gang crimes, not prosecuting uh, 
felons in possession of firearm cases, serious violent cases uh, that have been reduced because of ideology. So, Leon, what about the narrative that there are some judges, prosecutors, and DAs that are on the take, they get paid off by these drug dealers, that's part of the problem. You have dirty cops who, uh, that these young, this younger generation realize they're dirty cops. Sometimes they, when they do a drug bust and there's money and, and other valuables, they skim some off the top. And, and this, con- this contributes to why you have this rise in juvenile crime, why they're so quickly put back into on the streets, because the system is just corrupt. I don't know specifically uh, those cases, but I can vouch for the Metropolitan Police Chief, um, Robert Conti. He is a soft-spoken individual and just phenomenal um, leader. Uh, and so he's cleaning up MPD um, and and he has no tolerance for that type yeah, of behavior. Yeah, we understand, but what about across so, the country? We're not just talking about here. Well, there is there are trends. You know, there are trends, but again, financial resources have to be implemented. And so decisions that are tough um, have to be, um, you know, made in boardrooms across the country in regard to how we're going to spend the the upcoming uh, financial, um, you know, uh, source resources that we have. So you say, oh, okay, we have to spend, um, you know, a couple thousand dollars on security when we need books or we need um, a new renovation of the cafeteria. And those difficult uh, conversations are had by community leaders, um, uh, you know, city hall members, uh, members of, of statutes um, and committees. Um, but again, uh, it, it, those are tough decisions. But security is just terrible um, in, in D.C. right now, only from the standpoint from a lot of these kids have no have failed no repercussions from no bail policies. And they just go out. They know they're going to be arrested. They're going to be caught. They'll be released in a couple hours and then they continue. So unless there is a big hammer that comes down, um, it will continue. So here's my question to you, Leonard Tight. What are the areas in the country that has the formula and the cooperation from the police, the community, and all strategic partners where crime is not an issue? And why? It's not right. You go to my website at crimeinamerica.net. I have a list of the cities that are doing well, and I have a list of the cities that aren't doing well. Basically, you have cities who have a concerted effort um, between law enforcement and communities. Uh, They give out a very straightforward message that we're not going to tolerate your behavior. Some of these police chiefs and sheriffs and community leaders are out there screaming this every single day, that if you commit crimes in our city, we are going to come after you and we're going to prosecute you. And they say it openly and they say it proudly. Uh, They're giving the message that your behavior will not be tolerated. The problem with the crime problem in the United States is that we're telling people that it is tolerated. And for many of our cities, it is tolerated. You to go back to Brandon Scott, the mayor of the city of Baltimore. We've got to go back to the old days, quote unquote, in terms of um, enforcing juvenile um, curfews. We've got to go back to the old days. I think, you know, ladies and gentlemen, in terms of ethical, community-oriented, proactive policing, we've got to go back to the old days. And I think the mayor of the city of Baltimore is correct. You know, 
Um, maybe this younger generation of mayors um, does not have the kind of um, brass knuckles of cracking down on crime <laughs> and punishing these young people and telling them that this is not going to be tolerated. Because if you had leaders like Conti and the old Giuliani, they would know their consequences. If you commit a crime in, in my community, it, you're going to be taken down and you're not going to go back on the street. I just, I just think that law enforcement is so overwhelmed, lack of moral, uh, they're losing morality, they don't feel appreciated, they arrest these people, they're right back on the street before the jail cell closes. I just think all these things in the mix continues to contribute to the rise in juvenile crime and the deaths. You know, for millions of Americans, LASIK eye surgery is seen as a ticket to a better life without the need for corrective lenses like glasses or contacts. Yet, I must tell you, for some, it has turned their lives into a living nightmare, forcing people to live with severe, relentless eye pain, making life practically unlivable. I must tell you, the sad reality of LASIK is that when something goes wrong, it can go wrong real fast. Studies um, show that the success rate for LASIK involves around, uh, hovers around 99%. Yet, as it turns out, as reported by the New York Times, many are authored by surgeons with financial ties to manufacturers that make the lasers. You get it? There currently exists support groups for people who have had complications, sadly. Some of these people take their own lives as a result of their loss of their ability to live a normal life without constant pain, while others are forced to quit working, become unable to drive, and are even unable to perform normal, everyday activities. Um, have you gotten LASIK? Do you, have, do you experience any of these issues? I've talked to so many people since we started reporting on this, and their stories are absolutely horrifying. You know, you know I'm gonna come back to um, Joseph. How has the defend, defund the police movement influenced public safety and crime rates across various regions and the country since its implementation? What you have seen is this inverse relationship between uh, policing and uh, crime. So uh, the, the old adage is basically more police, less crime. And that's a truism uh, as it relates to just the number of officers you have on the street. Uh, but what those officers are doing, as has been talked about, that proactive policing is also critically important. And so the defund the police movement has been successful, and I, I use that word pejoratively here in sort of two ways. The first has been these jurisdictions that have actually defunded the police, reduced police budgets. Um, but the other is that this movement has created an environment in which officers are leaving the profession voluntarily to find other work, are leaving high crime jurisdictions for low crime jurisdictions, um, or are, are not entering the profession whatsoever or are less active once they're in the profession. And so what you've seen all across the country is that law enforcement numbers are declining and that the officers that are staying are less active than they were before. And what that has meant is more crime. Lydia, in what ways has uh, reallocated resources from law enforcement agencies to social programs and alternative community service impacted the effects of effectiveness of crime prevention and the response. 
Well, Armstrong, most of that has been rescinded. Uh, the, the cities are going overboard throughout the United States and they're saying to themselves, we made a mistake. Um, so any defunding has been pretty much corrected in cities throughout the country. Um, the, the money has gone back to law enforcement. The problem is, is that we've lost tens of thousands of police officers per, uh, per the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics and endless media articles throughout the country. And cops are basically saying, to themselves, the ones who left and the ones who are in the process of leaving, you know, dude, you know, if you're going to disrespect me, if you're going to say your profession's not worth to be f worth funding, if your profession is corrupt or brutal or whatever, instead of looking at the miscreants who committed uh, crimes and indiscretions, they, the the message went out to all police officers: there's something wrong with you. There's something's wrong with your profession. And I've talked to multiple families that have basically told their loved ones uh, in law enforcement, "Get out." and get out now if they are going to be that terrible to you then why stay in law enforcement and there are police officers throughout the country asking themselves that same question so that the fund the police movement has resulted in tens of thousands more of lives taken injured raped robbed ruined for the rest of their lives through reform we have thousands you know, Take a look at the traffic accidents, the fatalities, the uh, <clears throat> pedestrian fatalities, because we're not writing tickets anymore because we told cops to stop doing traffic enforcement. So tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, probably millions in terms of economic development, in terms of jobs, uh, we have basically destroyed, we <laughs> have basically destroyed cities throughout the United States. Leon, what do you say to the woke community that the rise in crime and all that happens today goes back to firearms and people's ability to carry guns and AR-15s and the Second Amendment. I think it's foolishness. And a lot of times um, people that are quote unquote woke, um, they are awakened when um, that crime comes to their doorstep. And so they usually have sadly, a uh, second vision when, um, you know, the crime affects them. And so a lot of these um, people that have these views um, that, you know, no guns, there should be no guns, uh, you know, they, they fail to realize that they're the same people in private settings that have come to me, asked me for training, um, have have their own purchase of firearms going on, uh, but they don't want to publicly say that because it's not socially accepted or there's a new trend um, to be politically correct. Um, but the bottom line is that you have a right to defend yourself and it's nothing to do with um, the effectiveness of what you believe socially and, and upbringing of children. Um, you have a right to defend yourself and the association of blame in the Second Amendment, it's just, it's just nonsense. Joshua Crawford, you know, you're a criminal justice expert and you're a part of Young Voices. What's missing in this conversation that we don't belabor enough? Yeah, so the, the first thing is that any given city, it's a remarkably small percentage of your population that is driving this violence. Uh, it's typically about a half a percent of your population, your city's population, only about 5% of offenders that are responsible for more than 50% of your violence. So it's not as if the American public uh, overall has has begun to, to run amok or uh, become more, more criminally inclined. It's a very small number of people. 
And we can focus on those people. We can focus resources on those people. And and most importantly, and often missing from the conversation, we can focus enforcement on those individuals. There is no meaningful citywide reduction in crime that has taken place anywhere in the country without law enforcement, without enforcement, uh, without prosecutions, without incarceration. But at the same time, if we start investing in young people early and earlier, because by the time you see a 14, 15, 16 year old who has participated in a carjacking, it is far more difficult to get that young person back onto a positive life course than it is to take an 11 or 12 year old and keep them on a positive life course. So focus on early interventions as it relates to juveniles younger than you think you need to, and then recognize that you're going to have to do some of the hard stuff. You're going to have to enforce the law as it relates to adults who choose to repeatedly and systematically break the law. Leonard, what else should we focus on? We need to focus on making sure society understands its responsibilities to itself and community members, their responsibility to their communities. Criminology 101, it's communities that control crime. It's not law enforcement. It's communities that control crime. It's society that controls crime through the messages that we give to younger people. If we tell younger people, cops are not going to no longer be aggressive. We're not going to no longer going to incarcerate you. We're going to give you uh, a low bail or no bail. That's sending a message basically saying that repercussions are no longer there. We have to, as a community, as a city, as a country, reinforce the fact that this is behavior that we will not tolerate and that message has got to go out repeatedly over and over and over again. Leonard, I mean, Leon, what needs to happen within the family structure? Clearly leadership, two family, um, two parent household, um, but the male in the home is critical uh, to be a leader, to be um, financially stable um, and to really provide guidance for the children, especially um, male children. It, it's just um, a cycle. It could be a negative cycle if there's no fatherly role, um, no mentor in the home, because again, the child is going to learn either from the home or from the street. And so you just want to have that um, moral compass in the home so the child knows what's right and wrong, and there are consequences for um, poor decisions. A lot of these kids, um, even in urban settings, they really don't know what right or wrong is, or even if they do, they have no fear of any consequences. They go, they go to jail, they come out, they have no idea what the repercussions of their actions will affect um, job, sat, job placement, um, educational opportunities. They have no clue. And then they're now a felon. They can't get um, uh, positions that they so desire. And so that all could have been um, for, uh, thwarted uh, with, with proper leadership from the home. You know, there's one thing that's obvious from the day's discussion, especially when you go back to our conversation with Trinity and Naya, is that young men are losing respect for themselves, so therefore they can't respect women. When you talk about groping and of all the stuff that we've read and has been reported about sexual harassment, and you talk about masturbation. I mean, it's almost a gutter system of values. It tells you that somewhere they're getting their values. It's not from the church. 
It's, it's, and, and I, I pray it's not in the family. So you have to ask yourself, what is raising these kids today? What makes a young boy think that he can go out and grope someone and disrespect himself to expose himself as if there's nothing to it? Our generation, this would have been unthinkable. So we ask ourselves, what responsibility do we have? Or can we ever change this? Thank you for listening to this week's episode.